You're listening to the Pigskin Cafe, a podcast covering the wild world of college football. On tap for today are hot takes, controversy, and analysis on your favorite team. Pull up a seat and your host, Hampton Sipper, will be with you in three, two, one. Welcome back into the Pigskin Cafe. My name is Hampton Sipper, and I will be your host this evening recapping the Alabama versus Texas game. We're going to be talking about what went wrong for Alabama, what Texas did right, and where both teams go from here. So going to be a fun show for you guys today. But before we dive in fully into that game, I had a couple notes about the weekend as a whole, and we're going to talk about this hopefully uh, when Graham and Chase join me later in the week. But I was really impressed with none other than the Kentucky Wildcats. Mark Stoops passes Bear Bryant for the most wins in Kentucky football history, goes down in the swamp and beats a red-hot Florida team coming off a big win versus Utah. And I can't say enough about Kentucky. I picked Florida going in mainly because it was at home, and I thought they were going to be able to get up for this game put together, you know, a solid little win streak here. But Kentucky went in there. They played Kentucky football. They ran the ball very well in the second half, kind of wore down that Florida defense. They made Anthony Richardson one-dimensional. The guy that played in that Utah game was not the same guy that played against Kentucky because Kentucky did a really good job of keeping him in the pocket, keeping him contained, trying to make him a passer, and making him go past his first read. They took his first read away, and when they did that, that spelled problems for the Florida offense. But Kentucky, I will say it once, if I say it a thousand more times, they're a top three, top four coach team in the SEC, one of the best in the country. They do less with more, and that's not even putting down their players. They just do a really good job of developing guys that other high-tier, upper-tier SEC schools wouldn't even offer. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have some dudes now. Like Will Levis, dude. Barry and Brown, dude. Dane Key, the freshman receiver, dude, um, that could play anywhere in the conference. But the outskirts of their roster are very much a result of development by that staff, and I can't speak about them enough. I won't doubt them again in a game like this, now maybe when they play Georgia, that's going to be a tough test for them, but that's later down the road. Um, but Kentucky keeps on rolling. My second place pick in the SEC East is holding up good so far. So shout out Mark Stoops in Kentucky. What a win to go in the swamp in Florida. And for Billy Napier and the Gators, they've got to, you know, kind of recuperate, got to um, go back to the drawing board a little bit. They really need to find a way to make it, um, easier on Anthony Richardson, especially in the passing game. Maybe rely a little bit more on his running ability, more incorporate, incorporate more read options into uh, the game plan. Kind of let him maybe get going in the air by using his legs. Um, I know teams are going to try to take that away because that is what he does best and what he's most comfortable with. But I was very impressed with their defense at first. They just ultimately wore down because Florida kept going three and out, three and out, three and out. So. You can't really fault them. Um, it's just they have a little lack of depth, and that's to be expected in a first-year head coach in Billy Napier. But he will get that 
I think, uh, corrected as he continues to recruit talent and kind of builds those trenches up and builds the depth up in that program. So that was one takeaway. Scott Frost, we hardly knew you. Um, he got he lost to Georgia Southern, um, big time loss, and ultimately lost his job in the process. So going to be very interested to see who they land in that coaching search. Texas A&M losing to App State. Can't um, I can't lie to you guys. Uh, it didn't break my heart seeing that, even though I'm an SEC guy. Um, it was kind of nice seeing Jimbo and the Aggies fall flat on their face. But that's the homer side of me that you're going to get naturally. But the objective side is Texas A&M's got to make some major wholesale changes on that offense. They are very much a an offense stuck in the 20, early 2010s. And I know Josh Pate, friend of the show, um, who came on last year, does a great job on the late kick. He even said um, that their offense expired in 2014. And I think that's really fair. I mean, since 2014 and Jameis, what has Jimbo really done as a head coach? Me and Graham said this last year on the Pigskin Cafe before it was popular to say, but it's a very pro-style, lot on the quarterback, not RPO, not spread-based. And as a result, you have what you have Saturday where I don't think they produce a 100-yard rusher or a 100-yard passer. I mean, they ran like 38 plays, only scored seven points, the other seven coming from Devin A-Chain. Um, I mean, that is brutal, and there he needs to make some – serious changes kind of evolve his offense into more RPO spread type. You can still implement the pro style concepts in there, but you have to add a little more wrinkle and get the ball in the hands of your playmakers, which I don't think he's done very well in the past few years. So a lot of soul searching down in Aggieland and it doesn't get any easier with the Miami Hurricanes coming to town at two and zero, And we will talk about that game on our preview show of week three of the Pigskin Cafe. But enough of all that. That's enough uh, recap of week two, um, some of the takeaways that I had. I'm curious to see what Graham and Chase had to say when we get to record our pod, hopefully on Wednesday. But I had to hop on here and talk about the Alabama-Texas game. Um, I was way off as far as my prediction of that game. I had Alabama win at 41-21. I thought they were going to come in. Defense was going to play well, which, in my opinion, they played pretty well um, for the most part. They were the reason Alabama was still in the game. Definitely some things to clean up. Definitely some tackling needs to be improved. The cornerback position got a little more solidified as Terry Arnold came in the game and played um, better than Kyrie Jackson had, you know, the first couple drives. Um, the lack of pass rush was a little concerning considering Texas offensive line is not uh, what I would consider elite. So the defense overall for Alabama, I thought, played pretty pretty well and pretty up to my standard other than the lack of pressure that they got on the quarterback. Only three sacks, only one by Will Anderson at the very end of the game. So that analysis part I had right. I totally missed it with offense. I didn't think the offense would go in and have another repeat of the 2021 Iron Bowl, a 2021 LSU-type performance, and that is exactly what it was in Austin. And another thing that I said before the game, 
and this I got to give credit to Jimmy Stein. He's the first one I heard say this, and I made a point to say it because I totally agree with him. Alabama last year, other than the Mississippi State game, did not play well on the road. A&M lost, didn't play very well. Auburn, they won, but it was a close, close game. Florida, same thing, got out to an early lead, and the offense just combusted and couldn't do anything right. And I said at the very end of our last podcast, I was a little worried about that, but I thought maybe new team, better leadership, that that would change, and it didn't. Alabama got off to a good start. First drive was ended in three points, played pretty well. Then you had the second drive, have an 80-yard touchdown run, Jason McClellan, catch Texas in a stunt. Echior and J.C. Latham do a really good job of um, creating a hole for him to kind of burst through and 80-yard touchdown run. You're like, all right, Alabama's going uh, to roll from here. They're going to do um, – I mean, they're going to put up 40 points because they were throwing the ball – out of the backfield to Gibbs. That was getting chunk yards. They were run the ball pretty effectively to that point. Um, but then from the second quarter to the beginning of the fourth, six three and outs in a row by the Alabama Crimson Tide offense. That's inexcusable with the amount of talent on this team. And I'm not going to be the guy that says this all falls on the feet of Bill O'Brien or this all falls on the feet of the wide receiver's lack of ability to separate, or this all falls on the offensive line. It's a little bit of a piece of the buy for everybody. I thought the O-line did not play great. I don't think they were gosh-awful like they were um, last year when it was almost kind of circa 2005, honk if you, you know, honk if you sacked Brody. Last year it was honk if you sacked Bryce. It wasn't like that. But they definitely have some things to clean up. They definitely didn't play well, um, especially in pass protection. And part of that was they were not put in positions to succeed. I mean, when you are constantly second along, third along, and the defense knows that you're going to pass, and they can kind of pin their ears back and go, especially if you're young and inexperienced, which Alabama's offensive line kind of is, as far as like the five of them playing together, you're going to have some issues. and. I think their, you know, their issues are part of game, you know, game planning and play calling. And I'm not the guy who's going to come on here and say fire Bill O'Brien. I'm not going to say that be the guy that says um, this is all, you know, all all his fault. I'm not going to do that. But he plays a part in this. And what I mean by that is. This is the third or fourth time under his tenure that the offense has done something like this. And there are a couple key parts, I think, that are making the offense even more – or kind of stall in these type of situations. Part of it is there's no reason Bryce Young should be up at the line making all these checks with 10 seconds left on the shot clock and then snapping the ball at five or less. There's none. The defense gets a beat when the ball snaps, so they can kind of get a head start. There's no, um, you know, there's a little bit of unexpectedness when you're, um, you know, snapping the ball in the mid, you know, mid-teens, 10, 20 seconds, 10 seconds. But when you're waiting that long, 
it's just too it's just too much. I mean, this is not a pro offense. Now, in the pros, they do that all the time, but you're putting way too much on your quarterback and your offensive line to have these many checks. Okay. And you did that from like kind of the second to third on after a drive where you had a couple quick screens to the um to Jermaine Burton, I believe, had a couple of screens to him, and then all of a sudden went three and out, and you could never get him back in a rhythm. You never committed to the running game again, which is a big issue because Alabama wasn't gashing Texas by any stretch of the imagination, but they were getting pretty consistent uh, yardage, three to four-yard gains on first down. I mean, that's a winning play in my opinion, and that takes a little bit of pressure off your quarterback. And why – abandon that run or abandon the running game, I have no idea. Then you throw on the receivers dropping the ball. Um, I mean, Isaiah Bond had a huge drop. Burton had a drop during the game. And inability to separate was a big issue. I mean, there were a lot of times where, um, I mean, and part of their inability to separate was really on the play call and the formation that Bill O'Brien employed. I mean, you've got a lot of tight bunch sets that have everybody kind of running in the same direction. And I'm sure by the time the play is to its completion, somebody might be open, but you have an offensive line that is clearly not holding up in those long developing passing plays. So you need to change it up. You need to kind of pivot to a more quick intermediate passing game instead of, you know, condensing everything, spread everybody out and go three to four wide. And they did that in the fourth quarter. I mean, Camelot, too, instead of being tight in line with the offensive line, he kind of split out and went to the slot. That increased the spacing and made Texas have to defend the whole field instead of kind of the box that, every, you know, that Alabama was in with those bunch sets. And I want to give credit to Landon Beeman. Um, shout out to him for kind of, discovering that upon rewatch. And when I rewatched the fourth quarter, I noticed that too. There was definitely a change in philosophy and a change in how they attacked that Texas defense. And then you had Bryce go 15 and 19 for 120 yards and a touchdown in the fourth quarter. I mean, Alabama doubled its output in the fourth quarter than what it had in the first three. They had 182, I believe, in the first three and 184 in the fourth alone. And part of that is they weren't, they stopped doing the ridiculous, let's check it with five seconds left. They went a lot more up tempo and they spread, they spread Texas out and they let the playmakers play. And I think more of that approach is needed. Um, and I'm going to also say this, while all that can be true, I think Bryce can be better in the first three quarters. Bryce, I didn't think played a great game. Now, part of that, offensive line, no doubt about it. Part of that is uh, receivers not separating quickly, no doubt about it. But there were times that he held on to the ball too long, trying to make a big play instead of just taking what's there. And then there's sometimes you've got to give your guy a one-on-one -on -one opportunity, and he's got to be better with that. And I don't think in these first two games he's been as sharp as he can be. Now, does that mean that he's played bad? Absolutely not. It just means that he can elevate his level of play even further. I mean, that fourth quarter, he was locked in. He was getting the ball out quick, getting it on time, using his legs to improvise in the pocket to kind of buy himself more time if need be. And you saw the results. So I think there were a lot of factors into that Alabama collapse. The play calling, 
um, the philosophy change, the offensive line not performing up to his capabilities, Bryce not doing as well as he can, um, you know, holding on to the ball too long, sometimes missing a couple reads here or there, which every quarterback does. Um, there's just a lot. I mean, and when you add that all up, it's just one thing every play. It's an 11-man game. One guy screws up. The whole play can be jeopardized. And I think that's kind of what happened against the Texas Longhorns. And they did a great job. They had a good plan. The D-line for them was very disruptive. I think Gary Patterson had a big role to play in the game plan they deployed. But Alabama's got some work to do. And they got two games to kind of do some tune-up, kind of tweak um, some stuff schematically. I think the checks at the line of scrimmage and kind of relying on that pro-style approach where let's get everything perfect, let's set the protection perfect, let's get in the perfect play instead of, you know, just going out and playing. It's like paralysis by analysis sometimes. And I'm not saying I'm smarter than the coach, um, Coach Saban or Coach O'Brien, but I think by looking at the film, they can tell that there needs to be some tweaking and there needs to be more of that approach of let's go a little tempo. Let's just go, you know, spread everybody out, use our playmakers. I mean, Ja'Cory Brooks came in in the fourth, made a couple huge plays. Treshawn Holden had a couple huge catches on the final drive. Jameer Gibbs was good out of the backfield. Alabama has weapons. Like, I'm not, you know, the whole thing of, oh, Alabama doesn't have speed or receiver. Jermaine Burton ran a 4-4. Kobe Prentice is, you know, really fast. Um, I don't think we're trying to stretch the defense. I think everything we kind of did, especially in um, the first three quarters, mainly, you know, quarters two through three, was very condensed, very um, intermediate to short range instead of trying to air the ball out. And I get that relies on the offensive line doing their work and protecting the quarterback. But if the defense doesn't respect that threat, they can come up and sit on anything short and you can't generate explosive plays. So a lot that needs to happen. A lot of changes need to be um, changes need to be made, even to personnel. I mean, Kendall Randolph did not have a great game. Javion Cohen came in. I thought he solidified the O-line a little bit. I know some people are saying Darian Dalcourt didn't play well. Um, I'd have to go back and check the tape on that. I didn't think he played fantastic by any stretch of the imagination, but I thought they played much better with Javion Cohen in than Kendall Randolph. So maybe they make a change at left guard. Maybe they make a change at center. you got Seth McLaughlin behind him. So I think the answers are there. But Alabama's got to prove it at this point because I'm going to be honest with everybody. When they go on the road on October 1st to Arkansas, it's going to be a tight, tight game. Like, I'm not going to go in with immense confidence and say Alabama's going to win this game. I'm not. They've got to prove to me that they can go in on the road and execute like they can at home or at neutral site games. And that these issues on offense that we've talked about, I mean, some of these issues on offense were discussed last year. There's no doubt about it. They need to prove it on the field. And the good thing is they can. I mean, there's Alabama fans at like there's never been a game where the offense has been subpar or the team has been subpar. And then, you know, the next game they come out and their guns are blazing and they, you know, boat race the team. 
see Arkansas 2014. Alabama wins by one point, just like they did against Texas, and then they come out the next week and beat A&M 59 to nothing. Okay, so there's a lot that needs to be fixed, a lot of changes, a lot of tweaks, but it's time to see if the coaching staff um, makes them and if the team proves it. Because ultimately, some of the players as well, you can't you can't drop balls, you can't um, you got to go out there and perform. And I'm very anxious to see how they respond against Louisiana Monroe this Saturday in Brian Denny Stadium. And we will be tracking how they do, and we're going to be really eyeing that October 1st game against the Arkansas Razorbacks, who have looked really good through two weeks. But those are my thoughts on Alabama-Texas. I would love to hear your thoughts in the comments. What do you think is wrong with the Alabama offense? What do you attribute the struggles to? I kind of laid out my case where I think it's a multifaceted issue instead of just Burr, Bill O'Brien. I think it, they kind of all weed together. They all play a part. Really interested to hear your thoughts. Thank you so much for listening um, to us on the Pigskin Cafe. If this is your first time listening to us, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. Bell, not bill. I'm not going to bill you anything. Notification bell. And give us a like, give us a comment, and follow us on social media and on Spotify and Apple where you can listen to the podcast version of this episode. Now, the Pigskin Cafe is closed for now. But until next time when we're talking college football week three, week three, chew on that.